so glad you could join us for mornings at YCVC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. Good morning again. Um, I'm going to pray and then um, we're going to jump into God's word together. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the details of it. We thank you for the broad sweep of it. We thank you that by your word we are shaped, that we are honed, that we are refined as your people. So I pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, this morning that you would do that, that we would be shaped as people and as a people as individuals and as a community, that we would be shaped by your word, that we would be carved to represent who you are to this world, and that we would more uh, clearly and more beautifully mirror the glory of Jesus Christ, your son, in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so this morning we're continuing our Not A Series series. Um, I never came up with a series title. Uh, maybe if we want to give it a, a, a retroactive title, we can call it In The Gap. Um, because we're, we're kind of exploring uh, the, the story that's detailed in Ezra, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and Zechariah prophesies into that space. Where we're exploring this, this gap between uh, Israel returning from exile to the promised land, been back in their home, but, but they're not yet... Uh, who they are called to be. They're not yet where they want to be. There's, there's this tension between where they were. They're not in exile anymore. They're not uh, in a foreign land. They're, they're not oppressed to at least the same degree. They're still under a foreign king. But, but there's a gap between this space and, and being all Israel have called to be and the freedom of worship and safety and the, the community being built up. And so there's this gap between and, and not that our uh, circumstances as dramatic as being uh, kind of swept up in the sweep of the ancient Near Eastern conquest of Babylon and Persia and later on Alexander the Great coming in just after this period and um, Seleucids and uh, Romans and not that our kind of recent journey is as dramatic as all of that but we're overlaying that just our journey of if we're in the gap between a season of Ben in lockdown and locked out of the, ch- the church building and gathering in a sense and, and but we're not yet back to where we'd love to be, both as people, I think, and as a people, as a community. We're not yet fully free in in all the ways that we'd love to be fully free. Trying to avoid using that word normal because normal's not really the template, the old normal's not really the template, but but restored and renewed. We're We're not really where we want to be yet. And so we're exploring that gap. And, and so the question I want to ask this morning as we look at this word is, what influences the shape that we take? As a church and as individuals, what influences the shape that we take? We're in a sense, because we're coming back, just like Israel came back from, from exile, they're back in the promised land, But the question was, well, what was going to influence the shape that the community of God's people took? 
Just as we've had this break from, from the pattern of what we used to do, and not that all of that was bad, but certainly not all of it was good. And so the question now is, what's going to influence the shape that I take as a follower of Jesus? What's going to influence the shape that you take as a follower of Jesus? What's going to influence the shape that we take as followers of Jesus together? And so for Israel in this story, we see this, this moment where they've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt the wall. So there's, there's the place of worship restored. There's a place of security restored for them. And so the question is, what is going to influence the shape they're going to take? And so we read about Ezra in, in um, the, the book of Ezra, uh, that he was someone who devoted himself to God's word, to use how I would refer to it in, in that language, in, in that it was the Torah or the law. He was someone who was devoted to the scriptures. And, and so in this moment, in, in Nehemiah chapter 8, we're told that the community gathered around God's word. In verse 2 and 3, they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. That word there, understand, is key. If we jump down to verse 8, they read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people understood what was being read. And so Israel in this moment of, of what was going to shape them, what was going to be uh, the shape that they took going forward as a people, they gathered around and it wasn't the whole Bible that we have today. I, I mentioned in passing last week that God's word, God's revelation is progressive. It's been built on throughout history and time and ultimately it finds uh, completion in the person of Jesus Christ. But, but they read for what they had of God's word, of the law at, at, at that point. But they didn't just read it out. It wasn't just a rote reading. It was an explanation. It was an understanding that they took effort to make sure that those who were gathered, men and women and all who could understand, they made sure it was understood what it would mean. And so as we gather, it's not just about, yes, we've ticked the Bible red box. And also I'd say in your own private time with God's word, it's not just about ticking the I've read the Bible today box. It's about seeking understanding that it might shape who we are. It's in a sense a, a public teaching moment that Israel experienced here. And, and they put their trust in those who have devoted themselves to the law, to God's word, they put their trust in them to explain it, to provide meaning. And so it's a little bit like uh, what we do here as we gather as a church, not that one person is the, the font of all understanding of the scriptures, but it's a little bit of what we do. We, we gather around not just to read, but to understand what does this mean for us as followers of Jesus today. And so the upshot of all of this, the, this moment is significant and, and uh, you can understand why, why none of Neil's children wanted to volunteer to do the Bible reading this morning because uh, of um, Malachijah and Hashan and Hashbadabananamana. It's one of those names that you get started and you're not sure whether you've done all the N's and A's and H's yet and when to stop. Uh, and so we might, go, we might tune out 
uh, when Neil's reading that or when we read that and I confess that I go, uh, yeah, a bunch of names, okay, we're back into it. But the reason that they, in these historical records, list these names is because this is a thing that happened. This was a significant moment and so they want to record the details to say that this happened. This was a moment and not just like a moment, as in, oh, yeah, there was a moment there, that this was a significant moment for the refounding of Israel as a community. And the bottom line is that God's people, God's people, Israel then, and I believe today God's people, the church, are to be a people shaped by God's word. And so if we think about what influences the shape that I take, what influences the shape that the church takes, it should be God's word. This is the thing that shapes us. And, and so what that means, it's, it's helpful to think about, well, yeah, you might go, well, of course. Yeah, it's the church. Of course, God's, God's word is what shapes and what's important. But it's, but it's good to think about, well, then what shouldn't shape us? Because if, we, if we're not mindful of the other things that, that might seek to give shape to who we are as individuals and who we are as a church family, then, then we won't be aware that they're, they're shaping us. Like a stone in the stream of culture, the, the water and the sand wearing it away and shaping it, if we're not aware of those influences, we won't be aware of how they're shaping us. And so we're not called to be a community of people or individuals that are shaped by convenience. Ease, comfort, the easy road is not meant to be the thing that shapes who we are. Jesus actually said, narrow is the road that leads to salvation and, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And so if we're to be God's people, if we're to grow in the shape that God wants us to shape, then convenience, ease, comfort is not meant to be a thing that gives us shape. Like the old saying, a couch potato. If you sit on the couch enough, then you'll take the shape, essentially, of a potato. I'm on a journey. Don't judge me. I'm trying. Habit is powerful to shape us. And so good habits are, are good shaping things. If a habit is to be in God's word, to gather with God's people around God's word, to, to sing songs. Thank you so much, Rachel, for that scripture-filled song this morning, to sing songs that are filled with God's word. If that's the habit, that, then we're being shaped by God's word. But, but if it's bad habits, then those bad habits will shape who we are. Culture is not meant to be the thing that shapes who we are. And by that I mean the culture of the world. The Apostle Paul says pretty clearly in Romans 12, do not conform to the culture of this world. And so like I said, culture is like a river, that if we're the church, if the church is a stone in that river, uh, that if we're not aware of how we're being shaped, then, then we will, before too long we will look exactly like the culture wants us to look like. That we'll just be worn down into no rough edges in terms of the culture, we'll be just shaped to fit the mould of the culture around us. The latest trend, what feels good. These are all things that, that potentially will give shape to who we are if we allow them. And in fact, I think we need to acknowledge that these things have already given so much shape to who we are. We need to be aware of that so that we can move away from that. 
And so this isn't just an ancient Old Testament thing. This isn't just, you know, Israel, we're in the Old Testament, and so they had the law, and we're in the New Testament. We don't need God's Word anymore. Yes, there's a shift in our relationship to God's Word. We are not under law, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians, but we are under the Spirit. There's a shift, but, but the Apostle Paul says to his son in the Spirit, Timothy, in, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, he says, All Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be brought, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so the Apostle Paul, who, who tells us that we're not under the law, that, that we know through the blood and body of Jesus Christ that we remembered this morning in communion, we know that our salvation is in that. It's not through works of the law. Yet the same Apostle says, even though we're not under the law, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, tra- and training in righteousness. These all sound like shaping words to me. This teaching... This rebuking, this correcting, this training, this equipping is, is, is what is shaping us as followers of Jesus and as a church. God's word is his tool to give shape to us through his spirit. And the Apostle Paul says all scripture is God breathed. And so this is not mere human words. When we pick up this book or when we open that app, however it it comes to us, really old school and cool if we open the scroll, whatever form it takes when it comes to us, we know that human hands wrote it. It didn't kind of drop from heaven complete and bound in leather for us. We know that human hands wrote it We know that it's the recollection of of history. But we also believe that is God breathed. One of the early apostles, Peter, said that uh, they didn't speak on their own. They spoke under the inspiration. They wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so what that means for us, that this is is God-breathed words, is it's not a take-it-or-leave-it thing. It's not just some abstract ideas or theories. It's not just centering around the bits that we like or that we feel like living out today. It's not just centering on the easy bits. Right, last week we, 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 we dug into a really kind of tricky, uncomfortable piece of scripture. And so if it's all God-breathed, though, it's all useful to give us shape, then, then we can't just leave that alone and say, I'll, I'll take the bits that I like, because it is all God-breathed. We don't get to take it or leave it. And so while we're in this gap... While we're in in the space of of returning to to freedom, to worship, uh, while we're in this space of, I guess, getting an opportunity to to reshape who we are as individuals and as a church, what are we going to let shape us? Is it going to be convenience, habit, culture, what feels good, what the latest trend is, or is it going to be God's word? For Israel, they, they had this moment where Ezra stood up and he read the law. 
the Torah. They had this moment where they renewed themselves in that bend, the thing that would give shape to who they were as God's people. And so this morning, I want to encourage a moment for us as, as, as individuals and, and as a church that, that we take a moment to, to, to take hold of what is God-breathed. To be renewed in this being the thing that shapes who we are. To not do that in a shallow sense, to, to, to do that in a way that seeks deep understanding, that wrestles with the bits that we find confusing or uncomfortable, that, that wrestles with it and seeks the best understanding that we have of that, to not take it flippantly, but, but to grab hold of it and say, this will be what shapes me and this will be what shapes us. In the Baron, I think it was the 1500s, an artist named Michelangelo um, sculpted some amazing pieces of work. One of them uh, was the famous statue of David, King David with his sling slung over his shoulder and for some reason not wearing any clothes. So that's why I'm not putting... I tried to find one with a good fig leaf kind of arrangement, but uh, that wasn't working for me. So we're going to have to just call to mind in our imagination the amazing detailed work of this piece of marble shaped to look uh, like a man in um, glorious detail. And, and I don't know if Michelangelo ever said this. There's lots of these quotes that we like to attribute to people hundreds of years ago that can't say, oh, I didn't actually say that, but I love the quote. Um, so if you're... You, if you're uh, Knowledge of art history is greater than mine, which is a very easy bar to jump over. Um, just bear with me, because the quote stands, whether he has said it or not. And so I asked about, how does he bring such uh, majestic shaping of, of, of the human form out of a block of cold marble? And, and some of... I digress, but some of Michelangelo's other works, you know, David was in the nude, but, but other works involve, you know, fabric and, 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 and almost a look of translucentness in, in silk and that all carved out of uh, marble. And so he was asked, how, how, how do you bring these works out of a cold block of marble? And his response, a little bit smarty pants, but uh, he said, the sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. It is already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. And, and so Michelangelo saw his work of essentially discovering the beauty of what was already in there. Obviously, logically, there's a truth to it that, that the marble that now is the statue of David was always in there and he just chipped away what was not David and left what was David. But in an artistic sense, it's, it's chiseling away, shaping it until it finds the form that in his mind it was always meant to have. And so I think this is a beautiful picture. Yes, there's, there's images in scripture of God shaping us. He's the potter, we're the clay. But I think this chiseling at stone is a beautiful picture of who we're called to be. We were created in the image of God. 
yet that was, that was broken in a sense, that was tarnished when, when Adam and Eve took of the fruit they were told not to eat. Yet there's still this image within this block of stone. And so the scripture says in the New Testament that we are being transformed, our word for this year, transformed from glory to glory into the image of what? Into the image of Jesus Christ. God himself, that, that we are being reshaped into that image. And so I imagine Michelangelo, when he, when he gets this giant block of marble, that to start off with, there's a lot of superfluous material. And so he starts with, these are completely not marble chiseling tools, uh, but you can imagine. To start off with, there's big chunks to take off. So he gets big tools and, and he's busting off Big bits, there's big chunks to get down to kind of roughly the shape of the image that's in the stone. But then as, as, as he gets kind of closer to it, and I, I think maybe as it's looking like a bit of a giant bowling pin, uh, that's when he gets smaller tools and, and it's a bit more refined work. He's tapping away and, and instead of just being like a blob for the head, it, it's starting to come down to a little bit more of the shape that we recognise as the statue of David. But then after that, even still, there's, there's time spent on meticulous work, scratching in details. I don't know what he would have used, but I imagine it was not plastic handled, but scratching in details. And even perhaps something like ancient sandpaper, rubbing away at the edges until the form was fully revealed. And so I think that gives us, in a sense, a beautiful picture of, of how God's Word shapes us. At times there are big chunks that, that we come into God's Word and there's a big chunk of superfluous material that isn't about being the image of God that gets knocked away. But as we go on and as we go deeper, that, that there are smaller details that, that, that God is using more refined tools from His Word to shape us into more of the image of God. And then even still, there's these finer details where it's just a little rubbing away. It's just a little scratching in of the detail. That there's these big chunks, there's medium kind of things, and then the finer details. And all of that takes time. It takes time. Uh, I, I have no. Uh, this is where my brushing past art history falls short. But I don't know how long it took David, uh, Michelangelo, to carve David. But I imagine it was more than a weekend. It takes time to shape a piece of marble to look like David, and it takes time to shape a follower of Jesus to more fully bear his image. But that image is already in the stone. This is that tension between how God sees us now as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that, that in, in God's eyes through Jesus we are fully formed, yet in this life there's, there's some chunks of marble that don't fully represent who Jesus is in each of our lives. 
And so in the few minutes we have left, I just want to touch on, you know, we can do this for many aspects of, of, of what it means to follow Jesus. But I want, to, I want to hit one verse that's a big chunk. I want to hit one verse that's kind of some smaller detail and another verse that's kind of refining that just to get a sense of, of what I mean. And so a big chunk is in Matthew chapter 22. Verse 34 to 40. This is like Michelangelo picking up his big tools and saying, okay, there's some, there's some big chunks to be removed here to begin to reveal the beauty of the image that is within. And so in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 to 40, um, some people come to Jesus and say, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, which was one religious sect, of, of the Jews, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The second, sorry, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so this is a big chunk scripture. This is kind of knocking us down to the bowling pin kind of shape. If we're to sum up all of this into a couple of sentences, what is it? Well, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body and spirit and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the shape that we are to take. I don't want to say that's superficial and not deep. There's so much richness in that. But, but that's a big chunk moment. That's knocking away everything that's not loving of God. Everything that's not loving of our, of our neighbours. All the, the hate, the anger, the rage that's to be knocked away from the image that we bear as followers of Jesus by that scripture. But I often have had this, I've had this conversation a lot with people at the moment who are of different faith or, or agnostic or outside the faith where, where it's around. It's all just about love, isn't it? It's just about loving everybody, and then you're good. Then you're okay. It's, it's all sorted. And, and part of me wants to say, yes! Because that's the, the broad, that's the shape that we're meant to take, is love of God and of our neighbor. But also part of me wants to say, but there's more detail to it than that. And again, we're not, we're not talking about how might we be saved here. We are saved through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. This is about how, what shape do we take as we live out our life in this world. And so I want to take us still on this journey of, of, of what does it look like to be all about love and, and God has, through his word, chiseled off some big bits of marble there to bring us down to that shape of loving God and loving others. Uh, but then in Luke chapter 10, after having a similar, similar conversation with someone about the greatest commandments, in verse 29, a teacher of the law, a scribe, having had this kind of conversation with Jesus, the, the big chunk conversation says uh, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And so this is getting into some finer detail. Jesus has said this same thing, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's the big chunks. That's the broad shape. But then this man asks a refining question. But who is my neighbour? You are no doubt somewhat familiar with this story. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down to Jerusalem, down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, now there's a lot in that word, a Samaritan. We think of good things, lovely things when we hear the word Samaritan, the good Samaritan. For those hearing this, racial designation, religious designation hearing Jesus, they would have been reaching for their pitchforks. They hated no one more in the world than Samaritans. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus then asked the man who'd asked the question, a question, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law said the man who had mercy on him, he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so, yes, the broad shape is love God, love your neighbour. But if we're to get into finer detail, if we're to explore the refined question of of who is my neighbour, then Jesus is saying everyone up to and including the person that you hate the most on this planet. That's your neighbour. That's the one that you are called to love. And in reality, Jesus actually has flipped the question. He's actually saying, who was a neighbour? See, we actually shouldn't be asking the question, who is my neighbour? How far does this broad sweep of loving my neighbour extend? We actually should be asking, who am I called to be? I'm called to be the neighbour. And so with scriptures like this, Jesus is working in, God is working in via his word, finer detail. It's not just about a love that's comfortable. Yeah, I love everyone. Good. Yep, you do you. I'll do me. Maybe there's a God. It's it's not just about the broad sweep. It's about the fine detail of getting into the grittiness of what does it actually mean to love our neighbour as ourselves. But then to take it deeper, to to get out the, the sandpaper on this, I want to jump to Philippians. Seems to have not been marked. No, yes, I did. No, I didn't. Bear with me. It's a problem with relying on on bookmarks when you don't mark it not there. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 11, the Apostle Paul, breathed by God, written by Apostle Paul, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God 
to be something to, to be used uh, to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And and, and so here the Apostle Paul isn't just talking about the broad sweep of loving others. He's not just talking about the tangible acts of loving others. He's saying, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. He's talking about the deeper attitudes, the fine details, the refined image. Here he's getting out kind of the, the, the little pick and the sandpaper and shaping and refining what it really looks like to live out the shape of Jesus. And then he has this moment where, I kind of love these moments, where the Apostle Paul seems to get thinking about Jesus and then he just gets lost in that in a moment and and, and he's just raving about Jesus. And then he's like, oh, wait, where were we? And comes back to kind of his teaching moment. But he has this beautiful moment where he looks at the template of Jesus. And, and, and so I'm, I'm sure that Michelangelo didn't have a photo of David to work by, but I imagine that he had a sketch. Uh, and I have seen... Uh, artists today work from photos. They have a photo that might have gone out or taken a photo of that person. They have the image that they're wanting to create and they don't need that to kind of shape it to roughly a, a human form. But the sketch or the photo is the fine detail of, of what they're trying, trying to be. And so this is like the Apostle Paul is kind of holding up Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider his own needs uh, but considered the needs of others. Truncated paraphrase. And he says, be like that. He's, he's inviting us to sh- be shaped and to be honed in detail by God's word, to look at that image and go, is that, is that what we're looking like? Not in guilt or judgment or shame, but, but to not just go, yeah, I'm loving God, I'm loving others, but to in fine detail compare ourselves to that image. Because we are, church, to be a people sculpted, by God's word into the image of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's word. In John chapter 1, verse 1, one of the followers of Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved, wrote this of Jesus, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so this is God's God-breathed word and it tells us about Jesus, but, but the ultimate revelation, the ultimate word of God is Jesus himself. He is the template, he is the mold, he is the image that is within the block of marble that God's word, that the Holy Spirit is chiseling away the stone to reveal in us and through us. I've heard it said this way, that Jesus is perfect theology. That Jesus is, the, is that image that we are being shaped by God's word 
to represent. I want to remind us as we finish up, as Rachel and Helena can start moving forward, that we are not saved by how well we, we tick whatever boxes we might be able to find in this. We talked about that a bit last week, that, that in this moment for Israel, there may have been uh, the seeds of, a, of an ultra-legalistic faith that came to be before Jesus, that it came all about ticking the boxes, getting the behaviours right, to try and please God, to try and somehow restore relationship with Him. I want to remind us that, especially when we talk about being shaped by God's word, about, about it being God-breathed, about it's not optional, it's not a take-it-or-leave-it thing, I want to remind us that we are saved 100% by God's grace through Jesus Christ. That it's not about pouring through this to try and find another box to tick, to get it right, in hope that God will be happy with me. He looks at you and he already sees the image within the marble. Before a a hammer is picked up, before a marking is made in the block, he looks at you, if you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he looks at you, the Father, and he sees the glory and radiant image of the pure and spotless Jesus Christ. It's already there. We don't need to do to do a thing for God to see us that way. Yet at the same time, while we await perfection to come when Jesus returns, we are called to be shaped, to be transformed, to be carved, to represent that image of Jesus, that image of God, the Creator. We are called to represent Him, to be His image, to be His body, both as individuals and as a community of followers of Jesus in this world. And so the last thing I want this morning is for us to become more legalistic. But I want to allow God to pick up his hammer and his chisel and to continue the work of carving. Yeah, that's about reading it. That's about gathering around it as it's explained. That's about Bible. It's about those things. But more than that, it's about just simply in those moments allowing it to shape us so I'm going to pray and if like me you're realising that there's, there's some big chunks that aren't Jesus shaped in your life that, that his word might want to chisel away or if there's some, some refining work for God's word to do or any of that and I believe that's all of us but if you're in that space this morning where you want to just like Israel gather around his word in you and say I want to be a person shaped by this word this book this scripture then I encourage you just to in your hearts or even out loud say amen to my prayer and then Rachel and Helen are going to play and we're going to sit in worship for a moment. You can do what you want in that space. Uh, We're asking you not to sing at the moment um, in song. And so that gives us some freedom to to just dwell in that space. Um, Yeah, we're going to do that. So Heavenly Father, 
We want to be shaped by your word. We want to be a people and we want to be people who are chiseled, who are molded, who are shaped, who are refined by your word to represent the glorious image of Jesus Christ in this world. And so whether this moment for us is a a big hammer moment or a sandpaper moment or all of those things, we just want to return to your word as being the thing that shapes us. I pray that you would help us as we help each other to understand it and we give thanks for your Holy Spirit that, as Jesus says, makes all things clear to us. And so we pray that we would hear his voice in your word. And so I pray, just as Israel had a moment, Father, of of saying essentially that we're going to be a people shaped by your word, that this church, Yes Community Baptist Church, that Nick, that all the other names that represent this church family, that we would be a people and that we would be people shaped by your word. And we pray that you would keep at it and that we would keep at it with you as as over time that process has worked out, that we are refined from one glory to another to represent for that image of Jesus to be brought out in each of us. And so shape us by your word, transform us, come and do your work, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, And so as I said, this is a time and a moment to... uh, to reflect and meditate to dwell in this space as uh, Rachel and Helena play for us. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, but just encourage you to dwell in this moment with God. Maybe there's scriptures you've been reading that, that God's wanting to shape you with. Maybe he might lead you to a place now in your heart to, to open up and be shaped by. But just dwell in this space with him. sitting there and you say, I can't think of one word of scripture, then look around you, there's some on the walls. Let those be the chisels, the sandpaper that God uses to shape us this morning. So thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Let's take a moment with him.
Amen. Amen. This is, uh, was uh, reflecting on that song and, and, and thinking about it and just reminded that the shape that God wants us to take is good. Uh, it's not a, you know, he's not shaping anybody into a gargoyle. <laughs> um, but I just got a sense that God wanted to say to somebody that, that we might be, you might be feeling, well, God can't shape anything beautiful out of me. This lump of coal is coal. Marble is more like an ugly lump of coal. It's too misshapen and out of shape and I'm too something to ever be shaped into anything beautiful. And I just wanted, felt like God wanted to say into that space that he sees what's within the marble. He sees in you something of unfathomable beauty. It's already there. In his eyes, you are already beautiful. And he's working at that out. He's bringing that shape into the space where the world will see that. That he's making beautiful things out of each of us. So 
If you're in that space where you think, oh, God can't make anything beautiful out of me, I just encourage you to don't sell God short on that. Michelangelo was pretty good, but he's got nothing on God. He's the great artist. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.